Welcome back to another episode of Trades Talk. Co-host Maggie Wymore with the one and only King of the West Coast, Mr. Justin White. Well, thanks for that introduction, Maggie. Happy to be with you. Excited to jump into today's episode. Yeah, we have a really exciting one today. To, we're going to be interviewing Justin himself about K&D landscaping and his his road in the industry, his relationship with his family, and how the transition of his parents owning the company now to a board of directors and what how that has all involved, evolved, um, his big goals for the company, where he sees things going, and uh, lots of good stuff. Yeah, a little bit of self-reflection today. And instead of interviewing others, I get to talk all about K&D and, and my story, my personal journey in the landscape industry, which has been at this point about half of my life, exactly half of my life. And a little bit about K&D, not only where we came from, but also where we're going. So I'm going to share some news on the podcast today. That'll be the first anyone's hearing about it. So for even me? my team, even you, oh, even my team. So I'm excited. I didn't know about this. What better place than to drop new information than on our podcast, The Trade Stock. So let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't you give people a little bit of background on how K&D Landscaping started um, and where it is today? Love it. So we'll talk about my personal journey, but first let's talk about K&D. So K&D, K&D Landscaping, K&D stands for Kendall and Dawn. My parents started a landscape business in the late 80s. My dad was a chef at a local resort and he got off work pretty early. He worked from four in the morning until about noon. And he's not the kind of guy to go take a nap. So he went down to Sears uh, from thanks to a loan from my grandfather. And he bought himself a lawnmower, a blower, a weed eater, and probably a few other little things. He bought a truck from the resort that he worked for for 100 bucks, named it Rust Bucket, because you can <laughs> see through the floor. <laughs> and like what many other landscapers, my mom and dad started the business out of the back of the house. And he started mowing lawns in the neighborhood, which expanded to the next neighborhood. And then before you know it, he was doing jobs that were way over his head, as he said. But he just kept saying yes, and jobs kept coming. Like we often say in the industry, to get to your first million, you just got to say yes to everything. And to get to 10 million, you got to start saying no. But on his path to a million, they went through a lot of different journeys. Uh, we moved houses. We started an actual yard at the new house that he bought where we had employees start to clock in and, and report there. He started buying new trucks and better trucks. But before that, they did buy a truck called Rust Bucket 2, which was the second <laughs> truck. And mostly it was just residential maintenance. You know, the the next thing that happened is there was this business park being installed in Watsonville where we were founded. And the developer was a friend of my dad's and asked him if he could do the landscaping, which of course he said, yes, even though he had no experience installing irrigation or anything, but he said, how hard could it be? I think a lot of us have been in that position. Yeah, he was and as a, a, yeah, definitely a yes man at that point. <laughs> yeah. As that job started to kick off, he realized, I got a real business on my hands and I need to stop being a chef and cooking food for other people and put all this effort into the business. So he took the leap with support from my mom and they started K&D, uh, which standed for Kendall and Dawn. Were you around at this time or 
were you, how old were you at this point? So when it really became a business was about 91. And that was, I was two years old at the time. My brother was just born. My mom had decided that she was not going back to work at that point. And so my dad had to earn some more money. We, let's see, we bought the the ranch at, in 91 as well. Actually, sorry, that was until 94 we bought the ranch. So they were running out of their old house for a little bit. But my dad had a lot on his plate to provide for this family. And when mm-hmm. he quit his job at the dunes as a chef and started to go full forward into landscaping, I mean, obviously I was two, year, two years old. I can't speak to his mindset, but I can only imagine. And, and through talking to him, I, I can tell that it was a huge leap of faith that both my mom and dad took, which has paid off in great dividends. And we're here now talking about this great journey. Yeah, absolutely. So that, I mean, that's... I can say from a parent standpoint, I know, Justin, you don't have any kids yet, but from a parent standpoint, you know, when you have kids to provide for, you will literally do any and everything you can to, to make sure that they have the life that you want them to have. Yeah. And I just got to shout out both my parents right now. I mean, they gave us such an amazing life, even though we, we didn't quite have a ton of money or, or anything else. My dad would unload his work truck at the end of the day on Friday, put on a little cab over camper and load the five of us in the cab. And we head down to, you know, Nasi Minnow Lake or one of these lakes to go camping for the weekend. And we would camp, I would not, I mean, 10 weekends, uh, a summer. Wow. So most of the weekends he was working all day, all week. And then we'd go camping, which probably was a lot of work for him too, with, with three youngins. And that was just such a great way to grow up. Taught us a lot of hard, hard work lessons in those times. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was the big, um, the first big pivotal pivot you saw in KD landscape after? So he's, he's working, he was at one, 1.5 million. Um, when did things start to shift uh, for your father? Yeah. So I think it's really important to point out 2007, 2008, like most of us, it hit us pretty hard. And that was the time I really started getting involved in the business. It was 06 is when I started really working and we were printing money at that time. I mean, it was so easy to get work. We just, the phone rang, you gave them a number that was probably a little higher than it should be. And you go out and do the work. All of a sudden it stopped. Phone started ringing. Everything went to shit. And we had to make a major pivot at that point. Luckily, we had some government contracts and a lot of maintenance that kept our business afloat. <clears throat> but we really we really suffered for about four years. And climbing out of that in 2013, I learned a ton. I learned so much throughout that period of growth and hardship around sales and providing value and really going the extra mile for the client because you just had to differentiate yourself in those moments. So that's really how I got to know the business. And then in 2015 is when that pivotal moment you're alluding to really happened. Mm -hmm. So 2015, after 30 years of marriage, my parents decided that they wanted to go their separate ways. My mom decided she wanted to move to Oregon and get a new start up there, which has been great for her. And my dad stayed local and he wanted to continue to work, but also he needed some time off after 30 years of grinding you know, it was time for him to get some space. And I really pushed for the opportunity to be CEO. Now take, take into consideration. I'm, I'm like 25, 26 years old, no college degree. I've got some experience in working, but you know, no real certifications or qualifications that make me really qualified to run a landscape business of one, one and a half million. 
However, they put their trust in me. I hired a business coach and we started to change the operation. I onboarded new technology. A pivotal thing I did was I hired a business coach, which helped totally change my perspective, totally changed the way I looked at business. And I set a big goal. The goal was three, 30 million and 300 employees by 2030. At the time when we we're a million, million and a half dollar business, that seemed outrageous, which was the point of what's called the BHAG, Big Harry Audacious yeah. Goal. So that was the pivotal point. Honestly, Maggie, that was when everything changed for us and our mindset stopped going to, you know, it used to be, how can we get through today and this year successfully to what does a $30 million business act like and what kind of decisions would they make? And let's make those decisions today. So we're set up for when we do get there in the next 15 years. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to touch on where you're at towards that BHAG here in a little bit, but, you know, just to, to be, you, you'd mentioned, you know, 25 years old, no college degree. And to have that much of a vision just kind of speaks to the mind that you, you were born with and the entrepreneurial um, drive <laughs> that you have in your blood. I mean, I just knowing you as a friend and in the industry, I see that all the time. And it's really cool to, to say, you know, I was 25, didn't know what was next for me, but I knew it was something big. Pretty cool. Yeah. And I came back to believing in myself and having others like my coach believe in me. And he gave me that confidence to dream big, to create visions. Because when I talked about, I want to be a $3 million company, he says, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, well, it makes me feel good. He's like, no, no, no. We need way bigger. We need something that makes you feel super uncomfortable. Something that makes, that seems impossible and so I was just like, well, then it's 30 million. Like there's no way I'd ever get there, but maybe if I if I shot high enough, we could get close. So what were some of the first moves that you made shifting from status quo to growth mode? So immediately it was it was defining this vision into a path, into an actionable step-by-step year-over-year plan where we mapped out every year for the next 15 years, revenue, employee size, sector income profitability in each sector, acquisition strategy. And we were talking about things that weren't going to happen for five to 10 years, like they were going to happen next month. And so we were defining and creating these very detailed plans. And think of this, my mom who did all the books had just moved out of the state and was now not working for the company. So I needed to hire a finance person, someone I've never had to hire or even think about. So I immediately started just reading books and educating myself on finance because it was one of the weak points of of my understandings. And then HR, employee success, and that side of things, employee training was something we started to invest in. My brother, my sister, and my cousin were all very instrumental in this point where we all banded together and decided that us four are the next generation. We are the second generation owners and let's act like it. So we all, I think, overnight, matured, I think you could say. Mm -hmm. And overnight, we realized we did have this duty to now flip the script with my parents and provide not only financially for them, but provide this this level of respect and this feeling of, hey, you you did this for us. It's our turn to pay you back. And we're going to not let you down. So there's this almost chip on our shoulder to say, we're going to, we're going to take this thing to the next level. And that was, that was huge for us. That, I mean, absolutely. And I'm sure there were certain milestones that you had had, or you had to do checkpoints and review along the way. Can you speak to some of those, 
you know, obviously hiring that fi- that financial advisor. Um, what are some other milestones or goals that you set along the way to get from 1 million and then um, speak a little bit where you're at currently today on the road to that 30 million? Yeah. So between 2015 and 2018, what I did was I departmentalized the company. So I created a maintenance department. I created a construction department and we created a, let's see, what was the other department? An enhancement department. So we kind of created these three departments. And then of course, what we'd call our admin or support department. We actually called it our corporate department. We got rid of that name super quick because it just, it doesn't convey the right message. It's now called our support department because it really does support the rest of the company. So between 2015 and 2018, we grew maintenance very rapidly. We grew commercial construction very rapidly. And we grew enhancements, which we weren't doing any of. We literally didn't do enhancements. We just maintained properties. And through my coaching and networking, I realized I'm missing out on all this revenue. So we started selling mulch and planting upgrades and all this other cool stuff. And then in 2018, we arrived at the $5 million mark. Almost overnight, it felt. We just did the right things, I guess, and we put in the right people. That was another big milestone. We hired great, great people. I hired this man by the name of Jeff Slough, who retired and then was bored and was living in our area. So he jumped on board and taught us so much. So with him and my dad as mentors, we were able to grow much rapidly, I think, than if we didn't have them. So developing the departments and then putting department leaders in place and creating a leadership team was was a huge step in the right direction. We also onboarded the Rockefeller habits and the scaling up methodology, which laid out quarterly planning sessions, weekly meetings, and certain metrics that we tracked on a weekly basis, KPIs, to make sure we stayed on track for our goals. And yeah, by 2018, we hit 5 million and, and we were on our way. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I know you and I have spoken about, spoke about this a couple of times, but how you go through the strategic planning process with your leaders, um, the quarterly, the the annually, all of those sorts of things. Can you break down a little bit about what you're when you are meeting on those that, that quarterly basis? What are you talking about? What does the agenda look like? Um, and then how do you bring that back to the larger K and D family and make sure that you do talk about is implemented. Yeah. So this is a great takeaway for anyone listening is that when you plan on a quarterly basis, every 90 days, you, I feel are able to accomplish what your average company does in a year. You can do in 90 days because you're strategic and you're, you're getting your entire team on the same page at the beginning of every quarter. So what we do, and I wrote an article about this for Lawn and Landscape, and I write one monthly, but I I have written two articles on strategic planning that are worth reading. And what we do is we get everybody together. We we do a department planning session. We do a leadership planning session. And then we do what we call our all-hands planning session. And they kind of grow on top. So the leadership planning session we do first at the very beginning of the quarter. It outlines our 30,000-level strategy our SWAT, our goals, our sales, our revenue, all that hard stuff. That then trickles down into the department goals where our leadership team has department leaders in it or VPs of departments. They then go in and operate and and run their own strategic planning session a few days later with their team. So maintenance, construction, water management, what have you. And then the Friday at the end of the week, this typically happens either over one or two weeks, we'll get all the managers together. It's typically the top 30% of your company. Anyone who, who is in charge of managing another person, 
For us, it's about 30 to 35 people. And we recap everything we learned, but also what our plans are. So every department gives a five-minute presentation on what their 90-day plan is. And then I bring it home with a very inspirational, high-energy vision presentation. So I'm saying, all right, here's what we plan to do. Here's what we actually did. Here's what we're planning to do for the next 90 days. And then here's our plan for the next 5, 10, 15 years. I want my team, and we hire constantly, so I want everyone to hear it directly from my mouth, exactly what the plan is, not only for the next three months, but for the next five, 10 years. And I want that updated every three months so they can see their own personal goals, personal, family, financial, and professional. They can align those goals with the trajectory of our company. And so when I'm talking to a supervisor, and they tell me they want to buy a house in a few years, I can tell them, well, we're going to have five more account managers over the next three years. What do you think about working on a promotion? Now they're seeing themselves and maybe a branch manager after that because they want to continue to provide for their family. So that's our goals and that's why we do it. Absolutely. I, I think you have such a unique culture at your company that is one to be desired. You know, you're constantly thinking about creating opportunity for your employees um, you're you're in this hyper growth focused mode, and I the, the one really cool thing about doing it quarterly, not only because you can accomplish more in a short period of time, but since we're constantly hiring in the industry, by doing it quarterly, you don't have a new hire that comes in with less than three months before they're seeing that vision in front of them. It's really important. Uh, those types of meetings always pump people up, give them you know something yeah. to get excited about. And also communication. I mean, it comes down to it yeah. that our generation, the generation that's um, younger than us, communication is so, so important to them because they're constantly being communicated with through social media, through you know their phones, they're always texting, they're always doing all these different things. And so they constantly expect more and more communication. Yeah. Communication is obviously a buzzword in today's industry and it's growing. <laughs> And we all kind of, I mean, naturally, we kind of suck at it, honestly, when it comes down to communication. It's not something entrepreneurs are good at. We're good at internalizing and we see the vision, but do other people see that vision? Yeah. I read an article one time in Forbes that said a employee has to hear an idea seven times before they believe that you're actually going to do it as a company. Because how many ideas do companies throw out there that they never actually follow through on? Absolutely. So if you're truly going to double down on something, you've got to repeat yourself to the point where you're exhausted and feel like you're just a a broken record. But that's what it takes to get team members on board. What I'll also add is there's really three fundamentals that I cover constantly. And when people talk about sharing the vision, they're always, I think, wondering, well, what do I say? And for me, it's really speaking from the heart, but there's three things you want to always cover. The first, core values. If you don't have core values, well, guess what? You have them. You're just not aware of what they are. Yeah. And maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. So if you don't have core values, you have them and you need to establish the ones you actually want. If you do have core values, make sure they come off the wall and they go into action. Mm-hmm. The second is the purpose. Why is the business in, in business? I always say, if your business disappeared tomorrow, what would be missing from the world? For us, it's raising the bar in the landscape industry. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's trying to be a better company. It's trying to be a better industry. It's trying to promote professionalism throughout and create landscaping as one of the best trades on the job site. It's why we do this podcast. It's why I write articles. I want to 
get more people excited about landscaping and trades in general. And then the third part of that is, is really the goal. Where is the company going? Five, 10 years from now, describe what the company looks like. That could be, hey, in five years, we want to donate over a million dollars to charity. In five years, we want to have 500 employees. In five years, we want to do this. We want to do that. It's got to be something that people can relate to and something that you're going to act on as well. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure put specifically on that third piece of a goal of growth. And for for a lot of companies, it's okay for the goal not to be growth in Mm -hmm. top line revenue. And I had this conversation um, with hundreds of landscapers I talked to um, on a daily, weekly basis through uh, working at Aspire that they come to me and they say, well, we want to grow. And I said, okay, cool. Is it top line revenue or bottom line a profit or is it impact? Because there's three different ways in my, in my opinion that you can grow. And it's that top number, which when you're, when you're in hyper growth, growth mode of that top number, your bottom number is going to probably not look as great. Yeah. But then you can also be focused on, Hey, I just want to make more profit, pay people more, provide, you know, do more with less. And then there's impact, which is kind of speaks to that charitable donation and, you know, just providing better work-life, home-life balance. So there's growth doesn't have to be always become bigger. And it, it, honestly, you can change. <laughs> you might be in hyper growth now yeah. for revenue. You might be in a net profit growth in a different year. So really cool. And then the core values thing, I just want to touch on that a little bit. I always said, and I, I learned this from the CEO of Aspire, Mark Tipton, he, he's very big on our core values. If you can't naturally implement the core values in your daily talk track and use them to describe people, then they're not your right core value. So it's very easy to describe my coworkers and some of the work that they do by just implementing, oh, this person is really finishing strong. You know, it's one of our core values. You always have to finish strong. And if to, to implement those two words in my daily talk track about people. So when you're thinking of core values or rebranding, always focus on making them easy off the tongue. Yeah, that's such a good way to describe core values. And when you're, don't get caught up that your core values are always going to be your core values. That's actually, I'm just a little teaser for the end of the episode. My big thing that we're changing is we are going to something I call core values 2.0. And we're not getting rid of our core values. We're just putting them on the shelf for a little bit. And we're rolling out this new idea that's actually taking our core values literally to the next level, core values 2.0. I'll speak a little more about that in a bit. But it's really exciting. And it's exactly, we did exactly that. We wrote down all the behaviors of our top performers and the people we want to replicate. Yep. And then we did what I'll say in a minute. It's kind of exciting. No, that's what a teaser there. <laughs> a teaser there. Uh, okay. So K&D, where are you? Let's get back on, on that path. So where you're at today um, and kind of what things you're doing to move into the next phase of growth. So 2030, you know, we're seven years out yeah. from that. So what do we have to do in the next seven years to get from your current revenue to that 30 million? Yeah, perfect. And what I'll say is one thing we focus on in terms of growth in 2020 is quality of earnings. We got rid of a lot of clients and we double down on the ones that are super profitable. And so we didn't grow a lot from 19 to 21. We went from 9 million to 11 million. We did surpass that 10 million mark in 2020, which was super exciting but we actually improve the quality of our earnings, improve the quality of our our clients. 
And that enabled us to then in 22 and 23 really launch out of the gate. We did 13 and a half million last year. We're on track for 15, but there's some big projects coming through. We might end up at 17 plus million this year, which is super exciting. So that's where we are. Awesome. The the next five years is going to be an absolute rocket ship. So we have everything in place, I feel, from employees, leaders, structure, yard space, capital. We have that, we have all the ingredients you need to bake a growth cake. And where we're going is we're gonna go to 30 million by 2026 and then 60 million by 2030. So oh. we've We've moved the goalposts up a little bit. I rolled this out to my team at the quarterly planning session in July, expecting expecting a lot of pushback, expecting people to say, wait a minute, Justin, I signed up for 30 by 30. Now you're saying 30 by 26. But what happened was everybody in the room through anonymous feedback and group sharing and breaking up is it came back and was like, oh, we, we're going to hit 30 million by 25. Like th- we're going to blow right past this. So it was really cool to get the team's engagement and the team's approval of my new vision. And so what we're doing is, again, we're focusing on quality clients. We're focusing on big projects on our commercial and residential design build side who trust our values, believe in quality. And then on the landscape maintenance side, we're really focusing on larger HOAs, resorts, and high-end estates that really, again, value the communication, value the quality service, and value having brand new trucks, battery-powered equipment, and high-end water management services on their sites. They're not just looking for the mow and blow, the guys who can mow the grass the cheapest. They're really wanting that high-end quality work. And a big growth sector we're finding when we talk market share is we are actually taking over a lot of properties who have historically been in-house maintained. Mm -hmm. In California, labor laws and employees are really hard to deal with. (laughs) Incredibly hard to deal with. (laughs) So we're seeing these historic in-house serviced hospitals, resorts, schools, even starting to outsource their maintenance. And we want to be that provider for them where we can go in. Ideally, we integrate their team into ours so no one loses their job and we can provide more oversight, more communication, more professionalism to what's already an amazing campus. Uh, So that's our real growth plan. And then water management is a huge growth element for us right now. As you know, water is a critical resource in the West, becoming more and more scarce and more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. So by saving our clients water, we are starting to grow our market share pretty rapidly in that sector, which is going to contribute a lot to the future growth in the next few years. Absolutely. I am hearing more and more about water management as our conversation with Daniel Smith alludes to awesome stuff happening in that, that world. And honestly, a, a newer topic for myself, you know, in the Midwest, water, there isn't as as much as a scarcity of of water here, but for the West coast, definitely a big focus. And it's awesome to see what you're doing with that. You know, the water management summit you're putting together and, and all the different things you're doing there. So I wanted to speak a little bit though, to your, your leadership, about your leadership team, because I think that that's a critical piece that you have fallen very lucky to, you know, you're making up your, your, you have siblings, you have cousins, you have a couple of people who aren't family, but really trusted leaders in your business. And I think it speaks volumes that you presented a goal to them, a revision to your goal, shall, shall we say, <laughs> uh, and they were all on board. So I think that speaks a lot to your leadership team and surrounding yourself with the right people and what that's done for your business and your culture. 
but let's talk. I mean, I mean, part of this podcast is we want to hear the raw, the uncomfortable, you know, the, the, the stuff that we, we don't see in the headlines on a daily basis. Speak to a little bit to a time that you were challenged, whether it be by another, one of your leaders, someone else on your team, or maybe a, a time that you guys were, weren't in alignment on where the future was. Yeah, that's such a good point. And the leadership team of your company is so critical, I believe, to the future success. Most of our leaders are homegrown, meaning they came in in our company at not a leadership level and, and grew into a leadership level and a leadership role. If you're not being challenged by your leadership team on a weekly basis as the CEO, then you're probably not approachable or you're not giving, you're not putting out good ideas or you're not putting out enough ideas. So I am always open to challenge. I'm always looking for that feedback, looking for that pushback. And I think through healthy debate and, you know, blameless problem solving, we find a solution to whatever challenge we're dealing with or whatever new idea I'm trying to bring to the table. I mean, if it was up to me, our business would have 25 departments and we would be spread out way too thin. And that's why I've put great people in place to keep me on the rails. And as you can hear, I'm pretty excited about everything we got going on. <laughs> so I've got teams in place, like my COO, John, who I kind of throw ideas to him at lunch and he goes, dude, what are you smoking? Like, we can't do this. <laughs> like, we haven't even got that other idea off the ground. Wait up. So I get challenged regularly, but I think the biggest challenge I find is my brother is a wonderful business partner and a great team member. He's on the leadership team. He has taught me a lot about patience and growth because I just have my foot full throttle redlining the business all the time. And my brother has a more, you know, he has a more steady approach of, Hey, let's just keep steady growth. Let's be smart. Let's make smart decisions and let's think about things before we do them. And so that that conversation him and I have, I think is the gold. It's I, We call it the rocket fuel, which is a, um, a term I coined from EOS, which we also practice and I highly recommend, where you have two people who kind of balance each other out. And for me, my brother is that balancing out part of what we do along with the rest of the team. But he's probably the my biggest critic while also being my biggest supporter. And the ability to manage that, I'm 34, he's 32. You know, the ability for a 32-year-old to, to have that type of maturity and that type of depth and knowledge to not get blinded by the, the fun and excitement of growth and to take a step back, I think that's why we're still alive and we're still charging in a, in a strong, you know, from a balance sheet standpoint, we're very strong. And that, I think, has a lot to do with my brother being smart in times where I wanted to just keep pushing the gas down. Yeah. I mean, first off, a lot of credit go to, going to Shane there too, because that is a very mature skill to have, you know, just to be able to calm you down, refocus. And also I have to say, it's a very humble quality in you to like, listen, because I, I am, I'm the same way as you are, Justin, like I'm full throttle. Let's go, let's figure it out. We'll <laughs> do whatever it takes to have the humility to listen when someone's trying to slow you down when you are a go-getter and a high achiever is a very important skill to have. So lots of credit to you on that front as well. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll be honest, right? Like when we get on podcasts and we're talking, we kind of like sugarcoat things. So we just <laughs> to be real, right? Like Shane and I, my brother and I, these conversations get heated. I mean, we have gone so close to blows. My dad has had to pull us apart 
So the boardroom isn't always a friendly, fun place. Like, oh, I see your point of view. Yeah, let's take that. No, it's like, you know, F you, F you, like, you know, and and that allows us though to have that debate and to get to the point where we're actually getting something valuable out of the conversation. If you're listening to this and you're like, man, I fight with my brother or my dad or my family member in the business, but it's, it, it's not very healthy. Well, I think that's okay. And you just have to work through those fights and always believe that family comes first and no matter what. And so even if you are passionate about your idea or whatever's going on at the end of the day, like get together for some Sunday dinner, go golfing, go hunting, whatever you're into and just release out of that work mode. Because if you're really doing your job as executives and a leadership team, you guys are, you're putting it all on the line. And you still have to be able to to have fun and hug afterwards and see each other as family at, at the end of the day. So I just want to throw that out there. It's yeah, not no, all funny games. <laughs> that's such a raw moment for you, but yet so important because you know there are so many family run family owned businesses in this industry, and they're all facing similar struggles. And leave work in the conference room, figure it out. You know, stay in there and don't go to bed angry. And <laughs> it's yeah, pretty cool yeah. to hear that. I feel like a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to that. So Barry, thank you for sharing that. So let's dive into a little bit about where J- Justin as a leader. So you said you, you joined the company very early on. I think you you know started probably working for the company like 13 before it was even legal in California. Where have you seen your biggest opportunities of growth? And tell a little bit about your personal story into evolving into this $30 million business owner (laughs) to who you are today. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's a lot of people out there in the trades and on other industries who feel that because they didn't go to college or they didn't get the education or maybe the experience, they're not qualified to pursue their dreams. And so they kind of said, yeah, I wanted to be this, but I, you know, I wanted to take over the family business, but I didn't go to college. So my dad or my mom's going to probably just sell it. I want to just talk a little bit about where I came from because I think there is always an opportunity to grow and self-development is always on the table. No matter if you're 75 or you're seven years old, self-development is always, always attainable. And I think self-development along with believing in yourself is part of the formula. So when I was 16, I was going through a rough time and decided when I started my junior year in college or junior year of high school, I didn't want to go to high school anymore. I decided to drop out. And so I did, I dropped out. I did independent studies, which I didn't really do. And I ended up not getting my diploma. I didn't graduate. And I was the black sheep of the family, right? So if you can imagine, I'm, you know, I'm I'm honestly, I'm selling drugs. I'm in the wrong crowds. I'm partying. I'm just doing all the things that's going to set yourself up for failure in life. And I come from a town of Santa Cruz, surfer town, a lot of drug use, a lot of amazing talent that's wasted because of heroin addiction and other addictions. And I've lost a lot of close friends to addiction over the years that have unfortunately passed away at a young age. So I was really caught up in this life and I was working for my dad and mom at the business, but I was also one foot in one foot out. And from 17 to 22, that was just kind of my life. I was like a Monday through Friday. And then I'd party all weekend and I tried to pull myself together on Monday, but I always showed up to work no matter how hungover or shitty I felt, I always showed up to work at 6 a.m. And I always felt like there was something more for me, but I didn't know what that was. 
when I was 22, a dear friend of mine, Galen passed away, uh, a drug, a drug overdose of Oxycontin. And that really was like the wake up moment for me of like, I hung out with him every weekend. I partake, partook in the same drugs that he did. And I was like, Holy crap, that could have been me. Um, that changed everything for me. And unfortunately, a few of my friends that were in our group doubled down and they just dealt with that loss through addiction and got deeper and deeper into that hole. Myself and a good close friend of mine, Troy, we both stepped out of it and we kind of, we moved in together and we both worked for our old man or our, our fathers and we both did trade work. He was a concrete guy. I was a landscaper. And from that moment, I started just trying to be the best person I could be be the best version of myself and try to right the wrongs that, that may, I may have made to other people. And that slowly grew the confidence that maybe I could make something in my life because at that point I didn't think I'd accomplish anything other than just working for my parents. And honestly, I, I, my goal was to drive a tractor for a living because I thought yeah. it'd be easy. As I went from 22 to 25, I started to believe more and more in myself every day, every year that passed. And when my parents, like I alluded to before, when they decided to split and I wanted to be the CEO, things just radically changed for me. And I started reading books. I, I hired the coach and I grew into the, to the professional leader I am in today. So I think a lot of people watch my podcast, they read my work or they watch me on stage and they think, oh, wow, like I can never be that. He's probably gone mm -hmm. to this college or that college. I just wanted to relate it down and, and boil it down to this point where no matter where you are in, where you are at in life, I was lucky enough at a younger age to pull out of that. But no matter where you are at, there is always that potential. There is always that ability to pull yourself out of that. And I think it's a few things. It comes down to one, believing in yourself. It comes down to two, surrounding yourself with the right people. You're, you're a reflection of who you surround yourself with. And then number three, it's it's just discipline. It's waking up and putting in the work. There's no, there's no shortcut to hard work. You got to wake up and do it. So I just want to speak to that. And I appreciate you asking me the question because I think there's people out there who can relate to that yeah. and maybe in a, in a rut in their life. And hey, if there's one person that hears that and goes out and wakes up a little early tomorrow morning, hits the gym and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my life around. Like, that's awesome. That's raising the bar. That's what I set out to do. Absolutely. First off, thank you for sharing that. Because um, I know that's not easy to talk about, but it's important to talk about because personally, optics are everything. And with social media, you're very active on LinkedIn, all these different things. I feel like a lot of people can be quick to judge and be like, well, he's this California guy that was handed a business. You know, he had mm -hmm. everything. He mm -hmm. was handed everything. And in actuality, that was not like you've had to work for everything that you you've built. And I'm sure that, and you may might want to speak on this a little bit, but you know, you're, I'm sure your dad was always going to be there for you and support you, but he wasn't bailing you out of stuff. And he just knowing the yeah. type of person he is, <laughs> he was always going to be like, this is my son. I will, you know, support you. But at the same time, you had to figure that out for yourself. Absolutely. <clears throat> and there was a lot of blowout fights when I was younger because he was upset. I was throwing my life away, but he always believed in me and he never called me a failure. He never, he never wrote me off and he always was there for me. And same with my mom, same with my brother and my sister and my cousin, Jessica, that's like my sister. They always, I think, believed in me and that's what kept me going. I am so lucky. I am very, very grateful for the opportunity I've been given. I even like, I've got a lot of tattoos. I've got lucky on my finger just to remind me 
that I'm a, I'm a lucky son of a bitch. And when you're given luck, it's, it's not so much what it is, but it's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And I've decided to see what the fullest potential I can take it to. And we're in the middle of that growth climb, which is, I think the most exciting part to be in. We're on the journey. We're just getting going. And that's, that's, I think what, um, what fulfills me from day in and day out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's your, you aren't who you are today without your story, without your past. So, well, not to, to pivot too quickly off of that. Cause I think, you know, everything no, you're let's saying do is it. Important. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about where your teaser. So let's talk about these, <laughs> these, uh, core values 2.0. So we've been on a mission to, to change HR and we removed HR from our business January 1st, 2023. We, we retired HR and we created what we call the employee success team or EST. And then we moved compliance under our admin and finance team, which is, which is Jessica and Tina, where I think compliance belongs. Compli- Can I ask compliance- you a question on that? Yeah. So when you decided to move HR out of your company, was that because of direct feedback from your employees or were you hearing like on surveys and stuff? Or was that what just you were seeing from your level? Combination. We definitely got feedback that people were scared to go to HR and talk about their career paths because two days before they got a write-up for showing up late. Okay. And so if the same person that gave you a write-up for showing up late is the same person that's responsible for helping you create your career path, I feel like that's a mismatch of personalities. Absolutely. So my finance team and 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 Jessica, who's our director of administration, she's an amazing leader, but she's really good at holding people accountable. So she deals with write-ups and the compliance and workers' comp and all that fun stuff we have in California. And then my brother Shane and our team member Chantel head up our employee success team where, yes, there is some, some disciplinary action that needs to be taken from time to time, but most of it is how can I help you be a successful employee at KMB? How can I get your personal goals achieved through your professional time here at KD? So employee success really was was created out of a necessity that I saw not only in our industry, but in the whole industry. And COVID exacerbated this HR nightmare we have because you have return to office, you have remote, you have this, you have that. And your HR team seems to be in the middle of every conversation you have, mm-hmm. at least in California. Yeah. So we tried to spread that out a little bit. So anyway, that's that's the beginning of it. So so what we're doing is we're calling it culture uh, culture wise, which is a company. Their company's name is Culture Wise. It was a great speaker I listened to, in one of my peer groups, which is Vistage, and David Friedman pitched this idea of behaviors and fundamentals. Uh, there's a few other companies that are that are actually doing this. So I'm not first to the game. Jerry Shiel at Shiel uh, Groundskeeping is is actually ahead of me on this, which is really cool. Talking to him and their success. What it is, is you take the people who you want repeated in your business, or you would love to replicate or clone. You take behaviors that you want to see continued in your business. And you do this four hour brainstorm of all these ideas of all these activities and and behaviors that you really like. For example, deliver legendary service, be welcoming, practice safety first, uh, blameless problem solving. These are some of the the behaviors that we came out or what we're calling our, our fundamentals. I'm naming this core values 2.0 to folks who are new to this because it's an easy concept to wrap your head around. The idea is your core values like ours, professionalism, respect, humility, teamwork. If you ask some of the the folks in the field what that means to them, 
They're going to give you one answer. And then you ask someone who's like an estimator, they're going to give you another answer. You ask me, I'm going to give you a different answer because professionalism means different things to everybody. Respect yeah. means different things to everybody. It's a, it's it's the, through the lens you're seeing it through. It's your, it's all about perception and what you what you do on a daily basis. Exactly, and it's great to have those. But what if you took it a step further? What if you did define respect into six fundamentals slash behaviors? What if you did define professionalism into six or seven behaviors? And what we did is we went through this and we created thirty behaviors, otherwise known as fundamentals, that we want everyone to practice every day. And these supersede your work life. These goes into personal and relationships and marriage and kids and everything else. And we feel that these fundamentals, if lived well by the K&D family, will lead us to growth, will lead us to retaining top talent, will lead us to attracting top talent, and ultimately be a great company to work at, which is what we want to be. Labor is the biggest challenge in our market. Employees are what make our businesses run. In the trades, we're service-oriented. We don't sell tech. We don't sell products. We sell labor hours. So if you're not pointing a lot of focus, energy, and time and effort into your team and internalizing that, that capital funding, then I think you're going you're gonna to outgrow yourself. So this is our big new thing. We're doing it. We're calling it Core Values 2.0. We're rolling it out here actually like this month. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see what happens and, and talk more about it on the pod. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, from surface level, you know, you think, 30, 30 fundamentals might sound like a lot, right? Kind of, but it goes back to your theme, you know, 30 million, 20, 30, all these 30. So it's kind of fitting. Um, And at the end of the day, if if they're digestible, realistic things, 30 should be the bare minimum. Really cool to hear about that. I'm excited for you. Are you hiring? Oh yeah. We're always hiring. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're looking to California. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I would love we, to work on your team, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm at, California is probably a little bit too far of a move for the kids. I'd probably be in trouble with that. So, hey, give me a few years. You know, we're <laughs> on the move. <laughs> no, but we 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 just want to create the best environment for success, and that's what we're trying to do at KD. Awesome. Well, passion is the word I that comes to my mind every time I talk to you because you're like, you're so passionate about everything you do. You're passionate about your team. You're passionate about the future. You're passionate about your story. You just bleed passion. So <laughs> with that, uh, do we want to cone your fun- fundamentals as your trading secret for this episode? Or did we bring something else to the table to, to share with the listeners? A, a secret I, you can't find yeah. in a book. So... I'll, I'll share, I'll share a little bit more. I think overall today's episode is all about just action, like get out there and do it. And if you're listening to this and you have no notes or you've been driving, you know, take some time in the next couple hours to drop down some notes. I think there's a lot that I think we all can learn. I literally have notes as I'm speaking, I'm writing new ideas down. That's just how I work. What I think the biggest secret for me is it's believing in yourself. It's simple. Yeah. You've probably heard it before, but what we have in our brain is 80% of our internal dialogue is negative. 80% starts with, I can't, or I'm not going to, or I didn't get to that today. So instead of focusing on what you didn't get, instead of focusing on your weaknesses, what if you took all that energy and focus it on your strengths, focus it on things that you're actually passionate about, whether that means moving your career, changing up your life, you know, pushing your boundaries, but whatever you do, just have that belief that you can. Like I am capable, I am going to accomplish that goal. And when you start believing yourself 
And then it starts happening and it happens more and more. You build more confidence and more confidence. And pretty soon you're, you're setting giant goals that scare the people around you. And if your goals aren't scaring the people around you and, and really scaring yourself, they're not big enough. So believe in yourself and set giant, unreasonable goals and see where it takes you. You heard it here first. Unreasonable goals. <laughs> Make yourself uncomfortable. <laughs> well, yep. thank you, Justin, for being put in the hot seat today. You know, usually you're the one on the other side interviewing, but thank you for taking this time to tell people about your story. There is a lot more to unpack in just K&D in general. So where can people find you and what shows are you going to be at? Where are you, where are you around? Um, how would you like people to connect with you? Yeah, I think, you know, LinkedIn is probably the best way to follow me and get a hold of me. Also, Instagram. I, those two are the platforms I probably post the most on. Of course, you can reach out directly to me. Just email us at KD Landscaping. It's info at letters KND landscaping.com. And that's our general inbox. But if you just ask me a question, I'll get back to you usually within a day or two. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or a direct message on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me, Justin White, KND Landscaping. And, and then as far as shows and speaking and stuff, I'm doing a lot of that. And I'm not sure when we're going to drop this, but stay tuned. If you if you pay attention and follow me, I'm always posting on where I'm going to be. I'm also happy to have conversations with other landscapers. I feel like I can learn something from everyone. So if you're ever interested in just having a conversation with me, just shoot me an email and we'll get you on the calendar. And I'm always happy for 30, 60 minute conversations to just explore ideas and, and talk shop. I mean, even if yeah. it's not landscaping, I'm, I'm just, I just love to learn and love to, love to network. You're only as good as your network, right? That's true. I've heard that a <laughs> few times. Well, awesome. And till next time, thank you for listening to another episode of Trades Talk. And thank you, Justin. Thanks everybody. Make sure to hit that subscribe button.